This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Welcome to our program today. I'm Joel Hilliker. I had an extraordinary experience on Monday that made my jaw drop to the floor and made me rethink the world around me. I saw a short news report about a website called MidJourney. This is an artificial intelligence image generator. You type in whatever you want to see and it instantly spits back stunningly high quality original images. An embroidered brown mouse dressed in a petticoat Pixar style. Reflections on a clear lake, sunny day, beautifully color graded. Western cowboy riding his horse at night under the Milky Way galaxy desert. An extremely detailed plus labeled Da Vinci style exquisite cartography map of heaven. I'm just reading a few of the prompts that people entered into this. And this website produced original images that are truly stunning. You type in whatever subject matter you want, whatever style you want, watercolor, oil painting, carving in porcelain, photograph in the style of Norman Rockwell or Ansel Adams from any age in history. And it gives you four versions, different artistic renderings, different artistic conceptions, compositions, all within 60 seconds at a quality that would excel a great percentage of professional artists i have to say no offense to artists i've never seen anything like this before in my life and it instantly calls into question the future of the art industry commercial art photography costume design logo design how this is going to impact publishing web design cinema so many other fields it's hard to even comprehend the ramifications so much of what this thing produces looks like it was made by master artists how could you ever tell anymore what was done by an actual artist unless you're looking at an original oil on canvas painting it's very much like the introduction of chat gpt recently this ia interface that produces highly sophisticated text and you can essentially have a conversation with this this website. Educators across the country are trying to come to terms with how to prevent plagiarism, students just letting a computer write their papers. Well, it so happens that this week we're putting together the next print edition of The Trumpet, and the cover story is by thetrumpet.com's managing editor, Brad McDonald, Navigating Our Fake World. This article is about how so much of the world around us is fake. It's propped up by deceit and phoniness. We're seeing this in politics, in the media, the fake news. But it's true of so many other aspects of modern life, our education, our food production. And our plan it at this point is to let the computer create our magazine cover. We're going to print exactly what words we punched in for it to produce this image and how many seconds it took. And on today's show, we are going to have a conversation with Mr. McDonald about his article and about the truth behind our fake world. In our second segment, we'll talk about fake meat. Climate activists say real meat is dangerous to the environment, so food scientists are creating plant-based meat options, and now lab-grown meat, test tube meat. This fake food doesn't come from a living, breathing animal. 
We'll find out from holistic nutritionist Jorg Mardian how healthy it is. Our third segment is a report from Trump writer Abraham Blondeau on the death of the Canadian military. Recent moves have gutted its ability to actually fight. Instead, it's being repurposed to, to do things like combat climate change. And our last word today exposes another dimension to the danger behind modern society's assault on truth. So let's get started. We have Brad McDonald here in the studio. Hello there. Good morning. Really appreciate you coming in here. Sure. Our fake world. What got you thinking about this subject to begin with? Well, I think the the general thoughts have been there for, for three, two or three years, four years. I think uh, when I think about Donald Trump, he's kind of, in my mind, one of the biggest victims of, of fake news. So often we'd hear this big story about Donald Trump was a child molester or Donald Trump uh, was corrupt or Donald Trump was behind the January 6th riots. John Donald Trump was behind uh, uh, colluding with Russia to steal the 2016 election. And in every case, uh, that story was sold with uh, conviction and eloquence and just sounded completely true. But then in every case, it's turned out that it's not true. And I just feel like it, it feels like every week or two I'm having that experience where something I believed was true mm-hmm. turns out to be fake. Not just with politics, with everything, as you said, with food, with fashion, with social media influences. Mm-hmm. Well, it is the type of thing that once you start thinking about it uh, and you become aware of it then you start thinking about all of these different aspects of society that are that are influenced by this kind of fakery what are some of the examples that stood out to you as you thought about it well social media is just a world of fakes a world of deceits um i i don't my exposure to social media i guess is on is on youtube mainly and uh there's all sorts of YouTube stars out there. I came across this guy called the liver King who, who is really a pretty impressive guy. He looks just exceptionally healthy. He's tanned and muscular and he lives by, um, you know, really sound minded tenants getting plenty of sleep and working out and eating healthy foods. Well, I found out that, uh, he spends $15,000 a month on steroids mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, his jacked body comes from the fact that uh, he spends so much money on synthetic chemicals. So he's created this whole aura of, of a 45 year old man who's in perfect health, but it's all fake. It's, it's just not true. Um, and that's, that's just everywhere in the article. I use the, the, I use Febreze as a metaphor. Uh, Febreze is this product that so many people use. It, it smells fantastic. It smells safe and healthy. Um, but if you look into Febreze, it's actually filled with terrible chemicals, um, mainly in the fragrances, which cause all sorts of harm mm-hmm. to the body. And I just use that. I use Febreze as a metaphor for this, uh, just for this general observation. So much in this world seems safe it seems healthy it seems like it will produce happiness but in fact it's harming us mm-hmm. so that uh, to go back to the liver king he's he's got a big line of 
of uh, supplements, vitamins, right. and that type of thing. And, right. and one of the things that you looked into was how many of the vitamins that we take right. are actually real. Right. Right. Now, I can't speak to the Liver King's vitamins. They're probably fine. They're, they're probably great for you. Um, but I did do some research into vitamins and supplements generally. First of all, it's shocking how loosely regulated the vitamin and supplement industry is. The American government uh, really doesn't spend too much time or attention um, regulating this industry. Uh, I, I came across a story for, out, of, out of New York from a few years ago where uh, the Attorney General's office investigated certain supplements from Walmart and CVS and, and Target. And uh, this study found that uh, many of the vitamins sold in Walmart, Walgreens, Target didn't actually uh, contain the healthy, the healthy vitamins that they, com- that they claimed. Just reading from this New York Times article, among the Attorney General's findings was a popular store brand of ginseng pills at Walgreens, promoted for physical endurance and vitality that contained only powdered sugar, uh, powdered garlic, sorry, <laughs> and rice. Well, powdered garlic's better than powdered sugar. Sure, yeah. Here's another one. At Walmart, the authorities found that the uh, the ginkgo bilboa, a Chinese plant promoted as a memory enhancer, contained little more than powdered radish, houseplants, and wheat. Mm. So, so I mean, there's probably plenty of great vitamins and supplements out there, but uh, there's also a lot that are just pure fakes. So, to... To think about these companies that are producing these these supplements, and they know that people out there, they're, they believe I, that this is what they're getting, and they, they just don't have the character to actually provide some, you know what they say they're providing there's just this i mean this this is kind of the behind all of this fakery is this willingness to just do whatever is expedient whatever works for them if you mentioned like the lack of government regulation if the government isn't there or some higher authority isn't there on their case to make sure that what they're producing is actually true they'll do whatever they Right. they want to. Right. Well, I think it's just a, a great example of what human nature is and how human nature behaves. The, uh, the vitamin supplement industry globally is, is, a, is, is worth $160 billion. There is, there's a lot of money here to be made. So uh, I think greed is a huge, a right. huge factor too. Yeah. So uh, you did talk about food uh, quite a bit, about the food industry, and particularly organic. This is something that is, uh, again, people are buying something thinking that this is what they're getting. And I'm sure, as as you said, there are growers, there are organic food producers that are doing it right. For sure. Not everybody. No, not everybody. In America, the organic food industry is a $60 billion uh, industry. And again, it's just shockingly... Uh, it's shocking how poorly regulated it is. Uh, In America, to uh, sell food as organic, you need a label um, that says it's it's organic. The U.S. Department of Agriculture issues that label or or more technically, they actually have empowered 80 independent agents to Mm -hmm. issue that label. They don't work for the U.S. government. They're, They're independent. 
Uh, and these agents, they'll have to visit an organic producer and they'll have to evaluate, uh, you know, I think it's called their organic producer report or something like that, and then certify a producer organic. These agents visit the organic producer once a year. Mm-hmm. And invest- investigations have revealed that organic producers, some organic producers, are bribing these agents. Some organic producers, knowing when the agent is coming around, will will kind of choreograph the property. They'll hide the chemicals. They'll make you know they'll make everything look above mm-hmm. board. The uh, the certifier, the certifying agent is there. He ticks the boxes, and then he leaves for the next year. Mm-hmm. And that organic producer is free to grow or produce the animals as he sees fit. So, um, and there's a number of articles out there about about organic producers or uh, uh, individual grain traders who would buy up property or they'd buy up grain and then, uh, you know, through criminal activity, designate the grain organic, sell it to companies who thought they were getting organic feed mm-hmm. for their uh, livestock or organic grain to put in their foods. Um, and make millions, tens of millions. Uh, there's there's two or three fellas who who have been put in jail just in the last year or two mm-hmm. for uh, becoming incredibly wealthy through expo- uh, exploiting the organics food industry. Yeah, you you also talked about uh, education and right. how uh, I mean we we have uh, there's quite a lot of stories out there about say the. The, the nature of the curriculum that is being pushed on kids and a lot of error that is being taught in schools. Right. You talk about just the credentials uh, of, given by the uh, higher institution of learning. Yeah. How much of that is actually fake? Right. Yeah. This is one of the subjects that kind of got me thinking about this too. A few months ago, I came across just an article about... Um, the number of PhDs that are fake, uh, the, the article talked about how easy it is and how cheap it is to, uh, to basically pay someone, usually from, from Asia, uh, to write your PhD. And then I did a little bit more research for the article. And, you know, within a few minutes, I found websites that would sell uh, high school papers. Uh, they would write a high school paper for you for uh, $20 a page. Mm-hmm. Uh, with these same websites, I think it was about thirty dollars a page, and they'll write your PhD mm-hmm. for you. There are there are loads, thousands, uh, as many as three thousand fake universities in the world where you pay them the money and they'll issue you a PhD. Mm-hmm. There are examples of of individuals getting fake medical doctorates and getting into and practicing medicine. This and blows it, my mind. And in some cases. Uh, you know, their treatments actually end up killing the patients and, you know, they're prosecuted and put in jail. But uh, I found uh, another little bit of research that showed that that quite a few government employees who they, they, they'll get a Ph.D. because uh, then they can they can earn a pay rise by mm-hmm. uh, improving their education. Um, you know, a number of government employees simply went out and purchased their master's or purchased their Ph.D. Uh, and then, you know reached the next classification and received a payroll. So it's uh, it's shockingly easy. Yeah. And I would imagine in uh, light of the introduction of chat GPT right. uh, and these kinds of uh, artificial intelligence tools that it's going to be even more 
easy for for people to uh, to create things. You know, if you want to set up a, a a doctorate mill or something, right? And I, you've seen a lot of peer reviewed papers. They the people will submit ac- actual gobbledygook to see if it passes, right? And it does, right. like peer-reviewed papers that have all of the reputation and that people put a lot of stock in and so on. Um, all of these tools are making it so easy to cheat. And if you want to cheat, you're going to find a way to do it. I mean, to, to go back to the to the organic food producer, if they if they want to hide those things from the guy who comes around once a year, that, that's what they're going to do. If somebody has the integrity to say, no, we want to do it the right way, uh, then... You know they they they're trustworthy. They can be, they can what they produce is what they say it is. But it seems like this is kind of the common denominator of everything that we're talking about. It's people presenting themselves as something they're not, right? Prioritizing form over substance, and the fundamental uh, need really is character. I mean, I just think about the the founders of America saying this, this system can only work for a moral and a religious people. If you don't have that, then you really don't have a system. Right. Right. Yeah. It just shows the need for law and government. You know, these are two things that man today wants to get away from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we believe they're impinging on our freedom and our happiness and the quality of life. Uh, But in fact, you know, this shows that without law and government, what is life? life? Life is being deceived constantly. Well, you uh, you bring out uh, the example in Daniel 8 where it talks about uh, it's basically a, a curse on the people because of their transgressions. That's what it says, right. that it's the sins of the people that enable this to happen. And, and that breakdown in character generally manifests itself in these kinds of plagues on every aspect of society today right right yeah exactly it's it's the sins of the people and then it's it's the revelation 12 verse 9 mm-hmm. world this is a scripture that mr flurry has pointed pointed us to for seven or eight years now you know revelation 12 verse 9 talks about satan the devil being cast down and deceiving the whole world and mm-hmm. you know that deception doesn't just take place on the nightly news or with uh, with congress or you know with with these individuals that we deem to be deceivers uh, it, it's just everywhere this is satan's world and and he's deceiving he's deceiving us in all of these different ways and as mr armstrong always used to tell us very often those that are deceived don't know Right. They're deceived. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think all of these examples that you're bringing out just put a spotlight on Revelation 12 and verse 9. Uh, right. The, and you see his influence increasing. You see the the blanket of deceit in the world today just getting thicker and thicker uh, as his influence grows. Right. Yeah. And, and Mr. Armstrong talked a lot about the two trees as well and, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it makes me think about... I mean, this is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was. It's a tree of good mm. and evil. It, I'm sure to Adam and Eve, it looked fantastic on the outside. It was a giant yep. can of Febreze. Uh, the fruit smelled fantastic, and it was big and polished. And But it was the tree of death. Uh, and and that's that's really what we, we see all around us, These the, the tree of death, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, life, our food, 
our education, our politicians, our, our social media influences, Hollywood, the movies, it all looks fantastic. It, it gives us a little, a little dose of dopamine and, and <laughs> makes us feel great. But it leads to death very often. Very important to think about. We've been talking with Brad McDonald about the fakery in our world. He's written the cover story of our next Trumpet Print Edition, the March 2023 issue. This will be going up on the website next week. You can watch for that. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. As climate activists vilify agricultural meat as dangerous to the environment, an increase in plant-based meat options is popping up everywhere. Now, there's another trend on the rise, lab-grown meat. Proponents label it clean meat. Others call it synthetic or test tube meat. Whatever the label, it is fake. It doesn't come from a living, breathing animal. Is it healthy? To answer that question, we have via Skype from his office in British Columbia, holistic nutritionist and personal trainer, Jorg Mardian. Hello there. Good day. So they call it cell-based meat, test tube meat. Help us to know what we're talking about here. Yeah, well, this is, um, it looks or sounds like fairly new technology, but it's been around a little while. Like right at this moment, um, what we know is that meat is meat. The United States actually doesn't have a federal definition uh, of meat because that's all we had, meat. <laughs> you know, we knew what it was. It was clear. But now there's new technologies that are sort of pushing the barrier. I mean, we know about um, plant-based um, burgers and such. And what they do there is they extract protein from plant foods. And they add all kinds of additives. And many of them are just, um, you know unhealthy and make these products look and taste like traditional meat. Well, now um, there's a new technology coming up and, you know, it's lab-based meat or cultured meat or clean meat. Um, I think some even call it cell-based meat. And uh, they're angling to replicate meat by destabilizing the established understanding of what a food is. Hmm. You know, and that's a big statement. And if you really don't know about this food, I mean, it's really shocking. So what they're going to do is they're going to make, uh, they're going to extract cells from an animal. Um, they're going to grow them in a lab tank mixed with a cocktail of growth factors. And they're basically going to create meat, pieces of meat. And it's a concept that's moved from a pipe dream to proof of concept fairly fast. I mean, in the prototype beef burger was tested in 2013 the first one uh in 2020 now we saw the first commercial launch of um cell-based chicken in singapore now it's on a small scale it's not on in a, on a mass scale yet it's out there hmm. and people are eating it now there's about 80 startups that are already working um on lab-grown meat globally uh there's billions invested in it uh there's research development there's production facilities, even in the U.S., and there's actually product, like 
these are humongous facilities in the U.S. Like I think there's one for sure and the second one they're working on. And what's even more shocking is the FDA has approved this technology as safe to eat. Now, this is astounding to me because there's no studies on it. So I'm looking at this and saying, well, what's going to happen in 10 or 20 years with this, you know? And as well, what what's worrisome to me is that the climate change movement is 100% behind this. Well, yeah, talk about uh, some of the some of the reasons for the push behind this. The the climate change is definitely one thing. The the folks that are out there saying that growing animal growing uh, having animals raised on land it takes too much land. Uh, but there's there's quite a bit of uh, push for finding alternative forms of protein like this. Yeah, th- there is a push. And, you know, and f- first, just before I get into the climate, I-, I would say that, you know, when we're talking about this concept here, th- this um, the challenges for this are still out there. You know, I don't want to make it sound like it's it's going to be here tomorrow. But I'm going to tell you that the push behind it is humongous, mm-hmm. especially when we say the climate change movement, because we're talking, it, do, it doesn't matter the amount of money they want it, because they're talking about eating bugs and eating all kinds of filthy stuff and putting it on our plates. And, you know, and this is a, a, a lengthy process. And really, the drug companies have perfected this process already. So sort of, a, it's a similar process with vaccines. So they, they infect living cells with weakened virus strains, and they inter, uh, induce those cells to multiply inside bioreactors. So that's sort of the same process that we're talking about. So I just want to get the feel of who's all behind this. There's some big power movements behind this. Mm-hmm. And, and I really do feel like when I'm, when I'm researching this, some are saying it's going to be here tomorrow. Some are saying it's going to be here, you know, 10 years from now. I'm telling you, the push is big. It's, it's, it's technical, this technology. It's resource heavy. It's expensive. They're going to do their hardest to get it here, you know, and, and as well, it's going to cost a lot of money to bring it to scale to the public. And I'll just give an example. Uh, back then, the first burger cost $232,000 per 100 gram. <laughs> that's, that's an expensive hamburger. It is. Maybe there was a sale on you got a little cheaper, you know, but so that's about a, a playing card deck size of meat involving more than a trillion cells. In 2016, that dropped about 4000 bucks for 100 grams. And in Here's here's the why I'm looking at this as it could be starting soon. 2021, the company Future Meats reportedly achieved a cost of a buck seventy per hundred grams of lab-grown chicken breast. Mm. So I just wanted to provide that context because the push is there. So now you were talking about climate change, and, and of course, these advocates are radical. They want this. They don't care how it comes about. And so what they want to do is they want to cause a major upheaval in the agricultural system. When we see that today, don't we? We see all kinds of um, hmm. calls to upheave the, the system that we have today. Uh, but most of, most of the information that we're getting from these activists is, is um, basically cherry-picked information. It's partial truths. It's, it's fabrications if you look into them. So what they're saying is that agriculturally caused carbon dioxide is this factor. And... They say, you know, it comes, a lot of that comes from cows, the burps of cows. We've heard that. Um, so cattle and other, it's, you know, it's, it's no, we know it happens. They do, it's part of the cycle. They burp it out, uh, the methane. But the problem with methane is it's not the poison that they say it is, you know, because after 
it comes out of the cattle, it lasts about 12 years in the atmosphere. So the methane is then converted back into carbon dioxide through what's called uh, hydroxyl oxidation. And that's just a fancy term for a chemical reaction in the atmosphere. That carbon, which is now recycled in the air, is the same carbon that was uh, before it was consumed by the animal. So it's just a natural cycle Mm. that's been around forever, Mm -hmm. you know, since animals were there. It's just vilified today. And another thing is that 12-year lifespan of methane that's supposedly so bad is less dangerous because it doesn't accumulate. See, it just keeps recycling. And what's funny is that the same lab-grown meat, uh, what the, the um, it produces carbon dioxide, the production of it, mm. at a far greater rate, and that supposedly persists and accumulates for millennia. That we don't hear about. Wait, now are you saying that these people who are trying so hard to solve these problems are actually creating problems that are worse than the ones that they're trying to solve? That seems. That seems hard to believe, although really that that seems to happen in so many of these instances where you have people who are looking at a little slice of the picture. They're not seeing the whole picture. They're very firm believers that what they're doing is right. They want to solve the problems of the world. They end up creating worse ones. Yeah, we're given a, a postage size stamp of information and everybody jumps on it and everybody believes they're an expert in it, you know, and. The truth is that the CO2 that this uh, industry is going to create takes a lot longer to dissipate than methane that's currently produced by cows. Yeah. So so that's a lie. The climate crowd isn't going to stop that lie. It's just tied to the industrial meat producers, though, because they have a deep stake in this system. So it's the fake meat game. So every dime that's spent on this fake meat goes back into the pockets of these giant global agri-food corporations. Mm-hmm. You know, they're meat producers, but they're also getting into the fake lab meat game. So, mm. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about climate. It's about the money game. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about the nutritional value of the cell-based meat. Do you, what, what do you know about that? Well... Our understanding of the nutritional content of these fake meats is really unknown. And that's the problem with it. All I can tell you is that it's going to be ultra processed. Hmm. You know, uh, animals are able to eat on the open range uh, and they can pick and choose from all kinds of diversity of, of uh, plants. And I completely, you know, they ingest all these phytonutrients and there's just this humongous amount of nutrients that they get from the earth that you can get from nowhere else. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a cycle of life. So, you know, it, it lab-grown meat, you're never going to be able to have a system where you receive those nutritional components because it's man-made. Yeah. It's like anything. If, if you make something uh, processed in a can or a box, it's just all man-made. So the state that this is unimportant and can be substituted by man-made stuff, you know, it, it's, it's just a willful perversion of plain health laws you cannot substitute what you make in a lab to what's in nature Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't happen um well i even think about the difference in the nutritional value between uh the way that so much meat is produced on these 
these massive uh, farms with you know cattle packed in and they're feeding them things that they shouldn't be eating and pumping their bodies with hormones, just the industrialization of meat production, you end up with meat that is far less nutritious and can actually be harmful versus the ones that are just out there living as God intended out on open fields and eating what they want to eat uh, that actually have considerable nutritive value. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, and, and you know, what's, what's really funny is that these same companies that make these burgers and meats from the, on an industrial scale are the same ones that are backing this lab, fake lab meat. Mm-hmm. They know how to make it, you know, so it's not nutritious. They're quite good at it. Uh, it's the small farmers, the ones that are walking the open fields, that are watching their cows, that are making sure they're getting enough to eat, they're well fed for, you know, they're not getting all these steroids and hormones pumped into them. That's the kind of stuff that we really have to look at, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's the stuff um, that's, that's easy to get if you just have a look around and go to your local farmers. Uh, you know, but getting back to the lab meat, I mean, people don't understand, they're never going to hear, I'll, I'll say this, about what's going into here. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a growth factor, which, you know, they, they sugarcoat it, they say growth factors, but one of them is called fetal bovine serum, and it's which a majority of these lab meats require, and it's produced by slaughtering a pregnant cow, removing that unborn calf from the uterus, and then harvesting the blood. Mm. And in that blood, those cells are grown. So it's just a, a most unnatural way for cells to grow outside of a living, breathing a cow, you know, and you need to have good health. You need a living host to take cells outside of the body. That is unnatural to man, you know, and there's there's other factors in it as well, because you could ingest cancerous material studies show uh, the mass scale required again, like we're talking when we're talking uh, these reactors that these cells are in, we're talking stories high, three, four, five stories high. Hmm. You, you have to put, trillions isn't even a word. There isn't even a word for how many cells are going to be in these. And the replication in such an unnatural condition for cells could cause cancerous cells to form and multiply. And I think I was looking at the Center for Food Safety that was stating that. So that's a risk that's, that will never be told us. Mm-hmm. You could also have contamination from bacterial or fungal growth. Remember, this is industrial scale mm-hmm. and other pathogens growing in these in these vats. You know, they tell us it's going to be pristine, but no industrial production is pristine. We know that, you know. And then also what we're not hearing about is that there could be um, genetically engineered antibiotic resistant cell lines. Well, that's just to keep things pristine, right? And that suggests that they're going to use antibiotics in those cell lines, as well as fungicides and hormones and growth factors. I mean, and, and ironically, you know, many of these chemicals will end up in the same water that the cattle industry is now being blamed for polluting. Mm. You know, um, and something clearly absent from all of this conversation, which, you know, I was getting at being concerning is is the monetary boost from um, the big pharmaceutical companies. And I looked at one Merck, it's heavily invested in this. And no, it's no stretch of the imagination to say that they could gain cultural meat companies as a, both as a customer and as a beneficiary of their technology. And my question is, where does this relationship end up in regards to meats tainted pharmaceuticals down the road? Mm-hmm. You know, where have we heard this before? 
Um, the big question to me is, will lab-grown meats eventually take the place of traditional meats? Nobody knows right now. It, will it will it t- take root? They're going to push as hard as they can. It's possible if scientists can train cells to behave in ways that no cells have ever behaved before. Uh, and if germs more or less behave during this entire process. It's daunting, but the money is behind it. And even if that happens, there's what's called an ick factor. <laughs> you know, I mean, people just aren't going to really gravitate towards this quickly. And there's nutritional shortcomings of this technology that's going to make it a little bit of a hard sell. But, I, you know, as we stated, if the listener right now is unimpressed with this technology and what we're talking about, then, you know, go to your local farm, purchase meats from farmers that have those open fields where you can see that their their livestock is grass-fed, you know, and, and uh, they're walking around happy and healthy. Um, the flavor of real meat is is born in the pasture, and the connection to the soil is what's crucial to good health. Sounds like a great plan. Thank you very much. We've been talking with personal trainer and holistic nutritionist York Marty and about fake meats, lab-grown meats. Uh, watch for those out there in your local groceries and restaurants in the years ahead. Uh, As he said, it's not necessarily everywhere just yet, but it's certain to uh, increase. You can also watch for the article that he is working on on this subject at thetrumpet.com. Always a pleasure, Jorg. Thank you. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. Leftist thinking has created serious problems for Canada's military as leaders have downgraded its fighting capability in favor of priorities like transgender awareness and battling climate change. We'll learn about this in this report from Abraham Blondeau. What happens to a country when its military can no longer defend it? That is the question Canadians should be asking right now. The Canadian Armed Forces, or the CAF, is facing an existential crisis. The Chief of Defence Staff, General Wayne Eyre, issued an order to halt all non-essential activities in order to focus on military recruitment and retention. The CAF is 10,000 recruits short, which handicaps the forces from being able to launch a large-scale operation. That amounts to 10% of military positions being vacant. Eyre said, quote, Owing to personnel and staffing levels that have been compounded by the CAF's heavy commitment to operations, the negative effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and a culture crisis, national defense continues to lose its ability to deliver and sustain concurrent operations at the scope and scale necessary." Besides sending small detachments overseas, being deployed to help with weather disasters, or being used for the COVID-19 vaccine program, the CAF could not defend the country on a large scale due to manpower shortages. However, the CAF is not only facing a recruitment crisis. Procurement, obsolete equipment, identity, culture, leadership, and morale are all debilitating the forces. The Canadian press wrote about Air's order, quote, To that end, the order directs commanders to prioritize fully staffing recruiting centers and training schools and calls for a complete reassessment of the military's current structure and composition. End quote. This crisis is ushering in a complete restructuring of the force. The CAF is about to be fundamentally transformed. 
How did Canada become the first major Western nation to have a military that can't fulfill its primary reason for existence? There are a myriad of factors at play, but the most important to realize is that it was a deliberate agenda that collapsed the Canadian Armed Forces. Canada has a very proud military history. The small population has always punched above its weight in a distinguished manner. This imparted a strong esprit de corps and a national pride that was key to Canada shaping its own identity within the British Commonwealth. Yet over generations, a transformation took place. My own family has a connection to the CAF that spans four generations. My great-grandfather was a medic in World War I, serving in Russia with the White Russians, and my great-uncle, Jack White, landed at Juneau Beach. Both spoke little about their experiences, but their service was enshrined with honor. In the next generation, my grandfather was a medical officer in the Navy for a number of decades. Yet it was during the government of Pierre Trudeau that the forces were thrown into disarray with the failed policy of integration. Many, like my grandfather, were disgusted with the morale-destroying policy. The CAF never recovered from the Pierre Trudeau years. When my father served as a senior NCO in the Royal Canadian Regiment for 15 years, a significant decline had taken hold. Now with current family members serving in the forces, the CAF is unrecognizable in the span of only four generations. The current state of crisis has been building for decades. Right now, the most pressing issue is the recruitment crisis. With one in 10 positions vacant and being 10,000 recruits short, this handicaps the, the army from actually doing anything of value. Every major operation has grinded to a halt as they focus on trying to retain and promote new recruits. The liberal government is so desperate they even opened up recruitment to non-resident Canadians. What's the issue for the recruitment crisis? Does it have anything to do with the Trudeau government's repeated attacks on the heritage that was at the very core of the CAF's uh, morale? Procurement and equipment are another crisis. The CAF is chronically underfunded and under-equipped. Richard Shamuka at the McDonald-Laurier Institute calls Canada's procurement system the worst in the Western world. Writing at the Hill Times, Shamuka said, quote, By comparison, the vast majority of Canada's military procurements involve what is known as off-the-shelf purchases. This means the government selects from an existing capability that may be in or near entering service. Such programs should be straightforward as all of the risks involved in technological development are resolved. Nevertheless, Canada frequently is unable to execute even this basic level competence. The Canadian Surface Combatant Program to replace the Halifax frigates is a good example. The government purchased an off-the-shelf design, the BAE Systems Type 26 frigate, to avoid much of the initial development work. Nevertheless, the project program costs nearly doubled from the early estimates of $14 billion to $30 billion at a cost that rivaled a clean sheet development program. Similarly, Canada's fighter replacement program will have gone over for 16 years under the present government's timeline. Most countries required only two to four years to select the F-35 if they ran a competition at all, end quote. The Trudeau government initially refused to buy the F-35s, but recently reversed course. Another instance of procurement insanity is the example of the Canadian Army trying to replace sidearm pistols for the forces, which were using World War II-era pistols. 
The procurement process to replace the pistols lasted over 10 years, involving bureaucratic agencies fighting with each other, accusing others of rigging the outcome, and eventually the army was able to find a replacement, but only after years and years of fruitless and expensive arguing. Great Britain went through the same process in 2013. Uh, it took them less than three years to do it, uh, with a much sizably larger fighting force than what Canada has. But the Canadian process started in 2011, and the Army is just receiving their new pistols now. Part of the problem is there are six different government bodies in charge of getting military procurement, and they usually all argue with each other. Another major reason for the dysfunction is that spending and improving the CAF doesn't gain Canadian politicians' votes. Usually big spending on healthcare does. Since Pierre Trudeau, the single most important program developed by the radical left Canadian governments has been healthcare. And this in turn has been loved by Canadian voters. The CAF has been the sacrificial lamb for socialized Medicare. However, if Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wants something for Ukraine, Canada has lots of money and a very fast procurement. CTV News reports, quote, a spokesman for Defence Minister Anita Anand said on Tuesday that the provision of an American-made surface-to-air missile system to Ukraine at a cost of $406 million would help protect against air attacks on Ukrainian cities, infrastructure, and military sites. The Canadian government has started a procurement process to upgrade their ground-based air defense but nothing is expected until 2027. So why can Ukraine get missiles from Canada, but its own military can't have any? Perhaps the most crippling crisis of all the ones facing the CAF is the one of leadership and morale. The CAF has been rocked with a series of sexual assault scandals in the highest ranks of leadership. And this appears to be a widespread issue within the force. The Trumpet reported on these headlines in May of 2022 in the article, Trudeau is purging the Canadian military. Since that time, the culture crisis has reached an inflection point. The August 2021 cover of Maclean's magazine was called The Enemy Within. The issue covered the shocking and pervasive culture of sexual assault within the CAF. Another Maclean's article from July 2021 was called The War Within the Canadian Armed Forces. Sexual assault has been a well-documented problem in the CAF since the 1990s. The articles at Maclean's magazine paints a disturbing picture of toxic masculinity as the hidden enemy within the CAF that is slowly destroying it. On the heels of all these allegations, General Eyre announced, quote, Culture change will remain the top departmental priority throughout the reconstitution process. This endeavor will require significant resources and a willingness to embrace recommendations from external review authorities, end quote. While the sexual assault cases definitely needs to be addressed, this very real problem is being used to affect a cultural change that has a sinister agenda. There are widespread issues of sexual assault that needs to be stopped, and there does need to be change within the CAF. But this cultural change isn't what you think it is. There is an enemy within Canada destroying the CAF, but it isn't toxic masculinity. There is a war being fought over the fate of Canada and the CAF, but they identified the wrong enemy. The real enemy within is Canada's own radical left government. The trumpet has warned and documented for years about a prophesied communist infiltration of Western nations. 
including Canada. Anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-capitalist communists subtly infiltrated all levels of important institutions in order to effect a cultural change, a transformation. When the lens of Bible prophecy is added, the cause of this crisis becomes more clear. This is something the late Herbert W. Armstrong warned about for decades. In 1956, Mr. Armstrong wrote, What we fail to grasp in the struggle with Russia is this. We are not fighting a single nation in a military war, but a gigantic worldwide plainclothes army masquerading as a political party, seeking to conquer the world with an entirely new kind of warfare. It's a kind of warfare we don't understand or know how to cope with. It uses every diabolical means to weaken us from within, sapping our strength, perverting our morals, sabotaging our educational system, wrecking our social structure, destroying our spiritual and religious life, weakening our industrial and economic power, demoralizing our armed forces, and finally, after such infiltration, overthrowing our government by force and violence. All this cleverly disguised as a harmless political party. Communism is worldwide psychological warfare, end quote. This is the real war going on inside the CAF, and tragically, it seems that there is very little remaining opposition against the communists. It appears the Canadian Armed Forces will be the first Western army to succumb to the communist infiltration. It's not just the communist infiltration causing the degradation of the CAF. The widespread sexual assaults are a result of widespread sin in society in general, a lack of character, which Isaiah 1 verse 5 calls a sickness from head to toe. Isaiah 3 verses 1 through 11 prophesied that God would remove all strong male leaders, including those in the military, due to national sins. Greed, complacency, and other problems are driving the broken procurement system. Yet the collapse of the CAF is being deliberately planned by the radical left communists, who are taking advantage of all these different factors that are bringing about the decline of the armed forces. This is all part of the communist goal of blotting out the name of Israel, as the Bible warns in 2 Kings 14, 26-28. The only way for these radical left revolutions to succeed is for either the army to be neutralized as a threat to the transformation, or the armed forces have to be brought into ideological alignment with the radical left. This is the crossroads the CAF is at right now. Canada is not the only place this is happening in. Yet, Canada remains a warning of what is to come for others. More significantly, the same decline is being spearheaded in the United States. The only way to understand this war is to understand the spiritual dimension behind it, which only the Bible can provide. To learn more about this life-changing perspective, please read our book, America Under Attack. It's time for today's Last Word. There is a profound exchange recorded in the Gospel of John between Jesus Christ and some of the religious leaders of his day. John 8 talks about a sermon that Jesus gave, and it says in verse 30, As he spoke these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth And the truth shall make you free. The truth makes you free. 
The truth of God smashes deceit. It protects you from deception. Now, if you lose the truth, if you abandon absolute truth and you embrace concepts like relative truth or personal truth, you become subject to deception. You get tossed around by flawed human reasoning, which is heavily influenced by evil spirits. You become enslaved to that. Verse 33 shows how the self-righteous Pharisees, these people were convinced they were righteous, responded to this statement of Christ. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How say you, you shall be made free? They didn't understand what he was talking about. And Jesus answered, verse 34, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Now, that's a profound statement. Sin enslaves you. You become enslaved to that sin and to the devil. It opens your mind and life up to his influence. Now, America has been embracing a lot of sin for a long time, and it has become enslaved. Notice this profound statement from Christ in verse 44 of John 8. You are of your father the devil, And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. There's a lot packed into that verse, but I just want to focus on the statement, the lusts of your father you will do, or you will, or you will to do. It's talking about the will of the people that he was speaking to. In his booklet, How to Be an Overcomer, in chapter 5, The War of the Wills, Gerald Flurry wrote this, Christ was telling those religious people, you will to do what Satan does. Those men actually had the will of the devil. After all, they were trying to kill Christ. Now, this is an example of what the Apostle Paul called will worship. In Colossians 3 and verse 23, if you cast aside what God's will is and you stop worshiping God, then you're always going to end up worshiping the human will. And that will always falls under the influence of Satan's will. The trap that these Pharisees fell into is far easier to fall into than people think. And it's far more common than people realize. This is why society today is taking such a radical turn to the left. I'd like to read a couple of paragraphs from an article by Selwyn Duke called, To Deal with Leftists, Imagine You're Confronting Satan. He says this, The behavior of what we call today's left and what Satan would prescribe are virtually identical. Truth means nothing to leftists. The ends justify the means, and they will literally say or do anything to achieve their aims. They'll use violence, Antifa, BLM, rioting and attacking Trump supporters, and intimidation, doxing public officials and confronting them in various public spaces, while calling conservatives fascists and blaming them for the unrest. They'll rail against racism one moment, and then excoriate a race, whites, the next. They'll preach equality 
while practicing inequality and discrimination, as with quotas and affirmative action. They'll claim to care about women victims, Kavanaugh-Ford affair, and then smear women victims, such as Representative Keith Ellison case. They'll say, do it for the children, using kids as human props, while abetting the brutal killing of children in the womb. They'll preach tolerance, but then insist this means safe spaces, excluding conservatives and whites, and that opposing views must be squelched. They'll say it's un-American to question election outcomes, as Hillary Clinton did prior to November 8th, 2016, but upon losing, scream how an election was stolen, as leftists did after November 8th, 2016. Theirs is the ideology of anything goes. Again, this is what happens when you abandon absolutes. The truth doesn't matter. Truth is fallen in the streets, as it says in Isaiah 59. Anything goes. This article continues, leftists hate the Constitution, though they'll use and twist it to serve their ends. Of course, it will be discarded once leftists have enough power and its utility is no more. In fact, they would destroy civilization itself and are currently doing so to achieve power. They'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Can you recognize Satan's thinking in what's happening in our world? This article says the devil knows no limits. The left has one guiding principle, quote unquote, articulated many years ago by occultist Aleister Crowley. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Do what thou wilt. That's the only guiding principle. Do what you will. That is why you see so much hypocrisy and such glaring double standards. There's no absolutes. You do whatever you need to do in the circumstances to achieve whatever you believe is right. Do what you will. Now that motto, that mindset always ends up turning into will worship. Human beings led around by the nose by the devil. That is why there is such stunning alignment between the left's thinking and Satan's thinking. Satan holds people captive because of their sin, and he's drawing them into his world and his thinking, and he's extending his influence into their lives and into society. You really need to see this influence. I would encourage you to read Gerald Flurry's booklets, America Under Attack, and great again. You can find these on thetrumpet.com in our literature library. These booklets are bright beacons exposing what is happening in the U.S. and in modern society. God is trying to show us Satan's involvement so we can recognize it, so we can proclaim it, we can warn people about it, and we can defend ourselves against it. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to our contributors, Brad McDonald, Jorg Mardian, and Abraham Blondeau. Thanks to Nick Irwin and Jesse Hester for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from Jonathan Swift. Falsehood flies, and the truth comes limping after it, so that when men come to be undeceived, it is too late. The jest is over, and the tale has had its effect. 
Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. Listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.